You're listening to the Get Your Head in the Game podcast, a show that shines a light on mental health in the sports community and manifests a dialogue amongst those looking to make a change. My name is Josh Kim, and I'm a journalist and photographer best known for my creative work across the sports landscape. And I'm sitting down with athletes, sports professionals, and coaches alike to talk about their own personal correlations between sports and mental health. Please be advised that the content discussed in this podcast contains mature subject matter and that listener discretion is advised. In episode four, I'm pleased to be joined by former Division I athlete and Clarkson alumni Perry DeRisso. Over the course of his long hockey career, Perry has made stops in Ontario, Texas, New York, and France, suiting up for a number of teams at a variety of levels during that span. With his playing days coming to a close in light of the current pandemic, Perry has now transitioned into coaching, combining his passion for the game with teaching. During our conversation, Perry shares his personal experiences playing in lower tier markets, the influences behind his hockey aspirations, and his own journey towards self-esteem, both on and off the ice. All right, as I said off the top, I'm pleased to be joined by Clarkson University alumni and former D1 athlete Perry DeRisso. Perry, welcome to the podcast, and what have you been up to during this hiatus in hockey? Hey, Josh, thanks for having me. Um, I think, you know, kind of just what everyone's been up to, trying to, you know, keep your head above water, stay sane, uh, keep but somewhat of a normal routine. But uh, it's definitely been a challenge for sure, as I'm sure it's been for, for a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. And I can definitely relate to that. And a lot of people I've talked to over the course of this, uh, well, this increasingly long pandemic, a lot of people seem to be losing it as uh, as the months go on so that's actually a perfect uh, segue into our whole discussion today is and my first question is why is mental health important to you and just to give our listeners a broad general scope of things and how uh, how it's impacted your life yeah i think um this this pandemic has done a really good job of kind of bringing it to light um it's something that i think is prevalent um, it has always been prevalent in society, but I think now that we're, we're, we're talking about it more, people are coming more aware of it. Um, uh, I think it's something like, and don't quote me on the number, but I think it's like one in five people. So we're talking 20%. That's a, that's a huge number of the population that has some kind of anxiety or mental health or whatever the case may be, uh, myself included. And I think that, um, I think the more we talk about it, the, you know, the more information that's out about it the less uh, isolated, you know, people will feel. And I think sports will always have um, a correlation with it, you know, just with the, the pressure that's put a, on athletes to perform. And, you know, the fact that, you know, athletes may be viewed as, as um, not being affected by mental health, I think is, is not necessarily, is not the case at all. Um, that we're somehow immune to it. Um, so I think it's up to us to, to kind of talk about it and get it out so that people know that, you know, it's not, it's not abnormal and there's nothing wrong with it and, and stuff like that. So. Exactly. And this whole podcast and show is dedicated to just that whole aspect of things and allowing people to tell their own stories. And that's obviously what we're going to get into today. So junior hockey is where a lot of players find themselves starting off their careers. That was no different with you starting your career in the OJHL, which is a league that has gained popularity over the years and has been on the rise. I've been following it myself and I'm sure a couple, a few, more than a few fans in Ontario have been as well. What was your junior career like for you? And can you remember what your mentality as a player was like back then? That was nearly a decade yeah. ago. Yeah, sure. we're, we're making <laughs> we're, myself we're, feel pretty yeah. old here. Yeah. <laughs> um, thanks for that. Appreciate that. Um, in terms of, of my mentality back then, um, I was really 
tunnel vision focused in terms of, I, I, I think it was my last year of AAA. We had gone to see a, um, a Notre Dame, Michigan game in Notre Dame. And I was just at all taken back by, you know, college hockey. And I was enamored by what it was. And um, I just kind of made my decision right then and there, like that, you know, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go play college hockey. I had a couple opportunities to play in the OHL and I, I just kind of turned them down because I was just so focused on that. Um, I don't think I took the time to enjoy my junior hockey because I was so focused on wanting to get to that next level. I took it so seriously um, that I didn't, I took for granted, you know, the memories and the friendships and the, you know, just enjoying the ride um, aspect of it. I was just focused kind of at the, at the end result of it more so uh, than anything else. Um, but overall, uh, I had a great experience, um, in my junior hockey as a whole. And obviously, it, you know, it was the, the springboard for me getting to, you know, where I ended up getting to. So I, I have nothing but, um, you know, appreciation, um, for that, for that platform. Yeah. And that's, that's a little bit of an underlying problem. I feel like a lot of, a lot of players, especially in junior, you know, tend to zero in and laser focus on themselves and they don't, you know, kind of step back for a second and kind of take everything in. So just playing off of that and the friendships and and the relationships that you had in junior, what was the support for players like in a junior league back then? I know, you know, with hockey, it's, it's fairly, it's a very team oriented sport. So obviously you're going to have a lot Mm -hmm. of players that you, that you thoroughly enjoy playing with and talking to. So Mm -hmm. I just wanted to get your take on what the whole support system was like back then for a junior hockey player. Yeah, I think um, when I moved to the U.S., I feel like there was a lot more, um, a lot more support in terms of off the ice. Uh, there was a lot more moving parts. Guys were getting traded, called up, uh, sent down, whatever the case may be. Um, so you had a better communication system in Ontario. It was a little bit more. Um, this was your team for the year. Um, everyone kind of went home had a different school that they went to. Um, we weren't, you know, the, the most tight knit community um, that you would expect. Um, but moving away from home, everyone was coming from somewhere else. So we really, you know, clung to each other and we're with each other 24 hours a day, seven days a week on the ice, off the ice, uh, wherever we were doing, we were together. Um, so we kind of built that support system around one another, um, you know, with on and off ice stuff. And then you naturally just, you know, tend to, um, build stronger relationships with certain people that you, you know, share commonalities with or whatever the case may be. So um, I think for me personally, and I can't speak for everyone. I had a really good group of guys that I was fortunate enough to play with and, and some like-minded individuals who were really focused on, you know, wanting to get to that next level. Um, and I think we were able to help each other and push each other and keep each other level and sane when things weren't going, you know, the way we wanted them to. Um, and then, you know, we were there at the end of the day to congratulate one another when, you know, we both ended up getting to where we wanted to be. So it was, it, you know, it was relationships that to this day, I, you know, I keep in touch with people from, from juniors and, um, you know, really fortunate to have that, that opportunity to have. Yeah. And, and for you, especially, um, you've had experience in a wide variety of leagues, which we're going to dive into yeah. right now. Yeah. And you just talked about a little bit of, of the kind of uncertainty that, that 
a player has when they move to a league in the U.S. Now, mm-hmm. after a couple of productive seasons with Mississauga, why did you end up choosing to go to the NAHL, which is the North American Hockey League, for those who aren't as much of a diehard hockey fan as me and might not know what that league is, instead of maybe selecting a more well-known option or staying in Canada? Yeah, I think um, uh, coming out of my second season in the OJ, I had a really good year. Um, I was fortunate enough to lead the team in scoring. And I had really, you know, I was at the top prospects game for the league. And I really expected, or not expected, but I think, you know, hoped that um, I would receive some kind of traction or, um, you know, a, a phone call or some interest. And I, and I really didn't, I really didn't receive anything. Um, and I knew that I only had two years of eligibility left. And my thought process was, okay, well, clearly, you know, the things that I have been doing are, are not working. Um, my dad always said, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing twice and expecting the same results. So he kind of said to me, like, look, you come back, you do the exact same thing. Why you expect anything is going to be different? Um, so I kind of knew at that point, you know, a change was going to have to be made. And to be completely honest with you, I really didn't want to go. Uh, I kind of fought tooth and nail to stay because I, I'm not the kind of person that likes change. Um, I really like to keep things status quo. Um, but I was fortunate enough. There's a summer showcase tournament in Boston. They run every year, the pre-draft and the chowder. And I went down with a couple of buddies that I played in Mississauga with. And we, we, we played on a summer showcase team and, uh, Corpus was, was there and saw me and, you know, kind of, you know, uh, you know, offered me a, a spot on the team. And, um, I said, no, um, said no. And then they, um, flew me down to Texas, showed me the facility, showed me kind of the city, the town, what they were about. I kind of did my homework on them in terms of, you know, um, the way that they had been able to move guys on to college because, you know, Texas is obviously not a traditional hockey market. So my first kind of thought was, okay, why am I going to go to Texas? I'm going even further away from any college or university that's going to want to come watch me. Um, but, you know, I kind of saw that, you know, the exposure was there and moving to the U S it was the, it was the NA plays the kind of college style game that, that universities want to see. Um, so I very hesitantly accepted and, um, I can honestly say without a doubt, the best decision I ever made both personally and for my hockey career. I can't speak enough about that organization, about that league, the way they promote their guys. Corpus was just the most professional team I've ever played for. Um, and I absolutely loved my time there. It was really the best two years of my life. So it was, it was uh, looking back, it was the best thing I ever did. Yeah. For the listeners who don't know what team Perry is talking about, yeah. it is the Corpus Christi ice rays of the NH. NAHL based in Texas, very unorthodox market, but a lot of those yeah. minor league teams don't get the recognition they deserve for, you know, setting players up on a good trajectory to go to the higher level to graduate to a higher level. So before we get into that a little bit, I wanted to ask you, what was your mindset like when you didn't get any phone calls or any recognition after that top prospects game back in Ontario? And, you know, you kind of had to go a little little out of your way to, to, to fight for your own hockey career there and, and, and make the best of a bad situation almost. Yeah. I think it was, um, first of all, excitement for being there. Um, you know, working to that point, I was just happy to be on a junior team my first year. And then my second year, you know, to get that recognition excitement, just to, you know, be there. Um, and then, you know, 
the, the phone calls come in, you hear friends. Oh yeah. I talked to so-and-so I talked to so-and-so, you know, you get a knock on the door. Oh, this coach wants to see this person. And then, and then you've got nothing. You kind of have that like pit in your stomach. Um, kind of like, well, what am I doing wrong? Panicking kind of feelings. So there was, there was, um, there was some, I don't want to say sadness, but some, you know, disappointment. Yeah, there was, there was some yeah. disappointment there for sure. Absolutely. I think, but it, it immediately turned to, and for me, it was anger. I, I had like a chip on my shoulder. Um, I used it as fuel. I was, I was, I think more motivated at that moment than at any other point in my career. Where it was like, you know what, like, I'm going to show these guys that they're making a mistake. They're, they're, there's something wrong here. And, you know, I had coaches that I kind of pointed out different flaws in my games, in my game um, from a physical standpoint um, being a, a smaller player. And I kind of took that summer and put on 15, 20 pounds. And I came back the next year, like, like, you know what, I'm going to prove all these people wrong. So I'm too small. And, and that, you know, I can't play college hockey. And, and I think I carried that chip on my shoulder kind of throughout my career. Actually, I think I feel like I've always been a little bit underestimated. So it was something that in the moment, if you had asked me, is this a positive? I would have said no. <laughs> I think a lot of, but, you know, as time goes by, it's really easy to see how a lot of those things are just, you know, learning, learning situations where you can better yourself from it. So it was, it was something that I kind of used to propel myself moving forward. Exactly. And that's a really good mindset to take just from my standpoint. And that's been a, a, a running constant over the course of this podcast so far is that a lot of athletes who have come on, I talked to, you know, one of your teammates, Joey Decord a couple of weeks ago, and then Akil mm-hmm. Thomas before him and all of them, you know, kind of said more or less the same thing, but their stories kind of differentiated in the whole mindset aspect of things. So it's good to hear a, a bit of a different perspective from a motivational standpoint. So playing off that, I know you touched mm-hmm. upon this a little earlier. Look, <laughs> Texas isn't exactly the no. prime destination for a hockey market. What was no. the shift in culture like between Ontario, which is like, you know, ripe with a yeah. bunch of hockey teams and a bunch of yeah. hockey fans to yeah. Texas where it's warm, a lot warmer and maybe yeah. not so hockey oriented. Yeah. Very not hockey oriented at all. Yeah. I remember, I remember very well after one of my games, I think, I don't remember. I had a, you know, a couple goals, you know, a couple points and um, we finished the games and we, we were out in the front and they kind of had a, a, a lineup of, of fans that wanted to, you know, talk and mingle and maybe send some autographs or whatever the case may be. And so I was really proud of myself. You know, it was my first game. I had two goals, whatever the case may be. I thought, you know, all the fans were going to want to talk to me. And, and, you know, I came out with a big smile and <laughs> I got up there. I don't think a single person wanted to see me. Nobody even knew who I was. They all wanted to talk to, you know, one of the guys who had two fights that night. And they were like, Oh, where's the guy who had all the fights? Like we want his autograph. We want to get pictures with him. And I'm like, really? Like, okay yeah he's over there like all right I guess uh, I'm not a big deal as I thought it was but yeah it's definitely it's definitely a, a different culture down there from a hockey perspective I don't think a ton of people necessarily understand the game um, but I think that's why I have more respect for um, all the fans down there than anything is that they just support their they just support it because it's it's theirs it's their community they're proud of it um, and even if they don't understand it, maybe as well as they do football down there or basketball, they take pride in the fact that this is their city. This is their team. We're going to support them. And, and they're loud and they're, they're boisterous and they're just, you know, really exciting to play in front of. We would get crowds of, you know, six, 7,000 um, a night, which, you know, as a 17, 18, 19 year old is, is incredible. Yeah. 
Um, Mm -hmm. And that's something that, you know, for all the good things that Ontario has to offer, you would never see anything like that um, up here just because of the saturation that we have uh, in the hockey market and and the number of avenues there are. So, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword for sure. Um, But like I said, we were so well taken care of. I took so much pride in, in putting that Jersey on every night, just because of the support that we have. Um, even just, just within the community, we had different sponsorships. They would help to take care of the guys because everyone was away from home, you know, from like a free gym membership or $50 off a haircut or, um, you know, we would go golfing every once in a while and we get like a free round of golf because, you know, somebody came to watch the game and, you know, was a fan or whatever, whatever it was just really small little things that, um, like I said, as an 18 year old, you know, seems like the world and just made me so proud to, to, to a be there, but B to have moved on from there and, and to be able to talk so highly about it and to try and, um, you know, educate people about how good, how good the organization is, how good the lifestyle is. And you know what, how good the hockey is too. Like, I think that um, everyone's in the same boat in the sense that like everyone's coming from the Michigans, the, the Minnesotas, the Ontarios, the, the traditional hockey markets, and they're all coming down there because the platform is there to perform and to, to do so on, on a big stage and, and colleges and universities are looking for guys that you know, have the maturity to move away from home, not let the off ice stuff get in the way of, of what you're doing on the ice and, and to be able to perform in those big stages in front of a lot of people. And I think that that, you know, they, they provide you the ability to do that. And I think it's, you know, like I said, I, I owe everything to that organization in particular. So I'm, I'm nothing but, but grateful for them. Yeah. And that's a really like, nice way and a good takeaway a fantastic takeaway actually from from life in the minor leagues or life in in a developmental yeah. hockey league so for all the hockey players listening take it from someone who's done it before yeah. it's not the worst thing in the world to go to a, a lower tier market and i think a lot yeah. of those leagues like the nahl like the ojhl are beginning to gain some traction among fan bases i think it, it's a lot better than it was like a decade ago now with mm-hmm. all those younger hockey fans you know paying closer attention to, to where their, where their players are from. So just playing off that a little, and you said it was a double-edged sword. Um, so to contrast the struggles of playing in Texas to the amazing moments playing in Texas, how did your mindset kind of shift during that time? And, and when did you realize that this was actually like a good thing that you were playing in a market like, yeah. And definitely in somewhere that I never would have guessed there would have been. a team. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think my first year was a little bit of a culture shock. Um, I didn't have the best year on the ice. Um, and I had expected myself to kind of take that um, success that I experienced in Ontario and be able to translate it instantly. Um, and I, and when that, that first season finished and I kind of looked at my body of work as a whole and reflected on it, I really wasn't happy with, you know, how it translated. Um, and then I, again, kind of took that summer to refocus myself and say, okay, you know, this is, you know, this is crunch time. I'm in my last year of eligibility. Um, again, made it to the all-star game, made it to the top prospect and get a phone call. Um, and so I kind of really said, you know, it's do or die time. Like this is it. It's your last year. You know, you can look back and say, I had great memories and yada, 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 but it was all for naught if you don't kind of get this done. Um, so I think it was that year that I kind of went from doing everything on my own in the summertime to, okay, 
I need, you know, a strength coach. Now I need, uh, to be on the ice, you know, three, four times a week in the summertime, I need to be working on my game, getting better. Um, I showed up the first day, my last year in Corpus, um, and got named captain, which was really exciting for me, um, kind of put into perspective all of the hard work that I had done. Um, and kind of even took it that much more seriously. Now I remember my coach sitting me down and saying, you know, you're responsible now for um, all the volunteers and all the people who work here and all the people who rely on this organization to make a living. Because if we don't put a good product on the ice, then we won't get fans. If we don't get fans, we don't get money. And if we don't get money, you know, they, they don't have food on their plate. Um, and I think that that's a big thing to take on for, for a teenager to, to hear someone say that, you know, that, kind of, you know, shocked my system um, when he said that to me. And, and it was like, okay, like, this is, this is for real. I'm not only responsible for myself, but kind of for my teammates and for my organization and how we're going to, you know, put a product together. Um, and I kind of just made the decision right then and there that I wasn't going to um, partake in off ice festivities, if you want to, if you want to say it like that. Um, yeah. The audience kinda, at home, I, you guys can figure out what that means for yourself. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to so break I, it down for you. Yeah. So I kind of had, a, I had a dry year. I just said to myself, you know, I'm going to take this year. I'm going to have a dry year. What's the point of having, you know, fun off the ice. If, if it, if it doesn't lead to any success on the ice, I was still there with my teammates every chance I had. Um, anytime we got together, anytime we had a party of any kind, you know, I was there, you know, making memories, you know, creating a bond with my teammates, doing all that stuff. Um, you know, I was just the, the, the grandfather on the team that year. I was the big dad kind of drove everybody around and that was kind of my role. Um, was that the reason I experienced success? I don't know. Um, but I just kind of said, you know, I don't think I could live with myself looking back knowing I could have done more and I didn't do it. So I kind of just went all in. Um, you know, we had practices at 11 AM and I'd be there at eight and me and my coach would go on just the two of us and I would work on stuff. And then the guys would come in after we do our practice and then from there, we'd go to the gym after. So I was, you know, just pulling double duty pretty much, you know, the whole year. Um, and then, you know, things kind of shook out like they did. But um, I, I do look back with a little bit of regret in that, you know, I, I didn't, like I said at the beginning, I didn't really take the time to enjoy um, what I was doing. And because we were so far away, you're talking about the double-edged sword of being in Texas. You know, we didn't have – we didn't have, you know, teams that were coming every single game to watch where, you know, we're in Texas when most teams are, you know, in the Northeast. So, you know, on those nights where those teams were there, um, you know, it was, it was all in, it was all or nothing. You know, they're only here for a weekend. They're only here for a game. So, you know, you make sure you're ready to go. And then everything else you were doing was kind of to make sure you looked good, you know, from a statistical standpoint, from a, from an analytics standpoint. And then you had that, to back it up when they came to watch you in person. So if you want to talk about the negative aspects of it, you know, there was the, the sacrifice off the ice, um, not being able to enjoy my, my time as much as I would have, you know, liked to looking back. And then there was also the aspect of, you know, the reality that you are in Texas. And so, you know, teams are not, you know, a half an hour drive away if you play in Boston or, you know, an hour drive away if you play in New York, you know, you're, you're playing right away. So you better make sure that you're bringing it every single night because you never know when someone's going to be there. And if you have one off night, that's it. Like that is it. And sometimes you wouldn't even know if they were there because they wouldn't tell you. Um, so it was just, you know, that realization that, 
you know, you, you don't have room for error and you better make sure that if this is what you say you want, then you better practice what you preach. And that, that was my mentality, at least like you can't, I couldn't look myself in the mirror and say, you know, this is really what I want to do. If you weren't willing to give up all the other things that, that went along with it. Um, and so I, you know, I think that's why I use the term double-edged sword because that might sound a little bit ridiculous, but to me, it was like all, you know, getting to where I wanted to get to superseded everything else. Um, and, you know, looking back, maybe that might not have been the right attitude, but who knows, maybe I wouldn't have got to where I got to if I didn't make those sacrifices. So, you, you know, it, it, you can never say for sure. Yeah. And that, that was definitely a lot to unpack there. And I'm just going to go on the limb and say, you know, if you're a captain in the OHL, yeah, I think you make sacrifices yeah. too. But at the same time, I don't think it's at the magnitude level of say someone who's in like a, a lower tier market and, and a, mm-hmm. a second tier developmental league mm-hmm. like the NAHL. So that's definitely a lot to take on, especially if you're just, just like beginning to become an adult. So mm-hmm. that from that aspect of things, it, it definitely provides a lot of much needed perspective on someone's life in a completely different league because Unfortunately, the facts are, you know, a lot of people pay attention to the OHL and every other league below that does not, doesn't really, you know, get the recognition that they necessarily should or deserve. And that's unfortunate for a lot of hockey players and is unfortunate, you know, just as in a general scope of things. So yeah, to say that you had to make sacrifices, that's a bit of an understatement for sure. And I definitely agree with you on that standpoint that it does bring success, but it also, you know, there are some things that you probably regret as well. Um, so just playing off that, it sounds like you definitely deserve to go collegiate after, uh, after your time in Texas, which is actually yeah. what happened. You opted to go to Clarkson university, uh, again, D one program, maybe not the top D one program, but still D one program alone. That's an impressive feat for any, any player. And to hear your story and, um, the fact that you wanted to end up there all along is, is really satisfying in, in general. Um, what mm-hmm. led you to Clarkson exactly? And how did that materialize from you know you said that corpus puts a lot of uh like promotion behind our players and, yeah. and really sets them up for a career in the ncaa or a career beyond yeah. the nahl so how did that materialize yeah. and what was your mindset like and how did it change from a junior league to a league as high profile as, as uh, the ncaa yeah so uh, my path was extremely uh different in the sense that my last year, um, I was doing really well. I think I was on pace to over a point per game five. for sure. Yeah, I, yeah. I checked beforehand. Yeah, yeah. so I, I was doing really well. And then in January, um, I got named to the top prospects again. So I kind of said, okay, you know, this is my last chance. I'm going to go and I'm going to do it. And then it was actually the, the game before Christmas break, I believe. I could be wrong. Um, I actually broke my leg. Um, and I had kind of been talking to a number of schools and I had a couple of visits that I had set up to go, to go visit the schools and hopefully commit, um, over the Christmas break. Um, and then, you know, once they found out about the injury, I kind of had phone call after phone call saying, okay, we're going to postpone the visit. We're not saying no, but we're not saying yes. Let's see how you heal. Um, and we'll kind of take it from there. Um, I was supposed to come back kind of right around that top prospects game. And so like, Hey, worst case scenario, like we'll see you at top prospects. If you do well, we'll talk then, but like, let's wait and see. Um, so that was a real difficult time for me. Uh, my mom uh, flew down to see me the, you know, the team's on the road traveling and I'm stuck, stuck at home by myself doing my rehab. Um, 
and and it was a good, I don't know, whatever it was, 10 weeks of, you know, just, you know, sitting and waiting and hoping. Um, didn't end up getting back in time for the All-Star game. Um, and the season finished and I didn't have a commitment. I was, there was, everyone said, you know, we don't know how you healed. I came back and ended up playing into the playoffs and again, was a point of game in playoffs, but it wasn't a long enough um, period of time for, I guess, for teams to kind of, you know, take that leap of faith. Um, and then I believe it was extremely late. It was probably July. Um, I still didn't know what I was doing. I had talked to some CIS schools. I had talked to some division three schools and I just, you know, didn't know what I was going to do. And then I got a phone call from Andy Jones, who was at Clarkson, who kind of said, you know, we're looking for, for this kind of player that we think you can, you could be a match. Um, you know, is this something you'd be interested in? And I kind of, you know, jumped at the opportunity. I pretty much was doing cartwheels. I was actually working at the time. I had a summer job. I was working and I just kind of said to my boss, like, I got to go. And I just kind of like ran, took the phone call. And I was just like so excited and called my parents. Like, we got to go, like, get the car. Like, we're going right now. And drove, uh, it's about a four, four and a half hour drive to Clarkson. And, um, you know, got got the offer to, to join the team um, and, and took it. And, you know, I've actually never, I was, I was embarrassed, I think. But uh, I was actually a walk on my first year. They never offered me any money. Um, they told me that I could just walk on and kind of earn my spot. Um, and, and I'm, I, you know, came in as a walk on and just absolutely worked as hard as I could and eventually turned that into, you know, getting a scholarship in my later years and, you know, wearing a letter my last year. And so that was something that, again, I kind of looked at myself in the mirror and said, like, are you going to just be the walk on who just comes in and complains and says, Oh, you know, I should be here and there or whatever. Or are you going to be the guy that like, proves them wrong and say, no, you should have given me money from the start. You should have believed in me from the start. Like, just cause I got hurt doesn't mean I can't play. And again, another chip on my shoulder, another, you know, fire in my belly. I was really, it, it, really excited and really upset at the same time. Um, and really fortunate to have the support system that I had that allowed me to, um, to go those first couple of years when, you know, I wasn't on scholarship and allow me to, you kind of earn my way so that I could, you know, get, get the money that, that I felt that I deserved. So yeah, it was, it was a, it was a different rose, a roller coaster for sure. If that's not a redemption story, I don't know what is, but that, that's, uh, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's quite impressive. I, I had no idea that was, uh, that was kind of the whole inspiration behind going to Clarkson in that, in that yeah. aspect of things. So yeah. you touched upon this a little earlier and you said you wore a letter in your junior and senior. Um, yeah. Elite Prospects has you as captain. Clarkson, the Clarkson website has you as an A. I don't know which one it is, so I'm just going to ask you now. <laughs> yeah. So we had uh, we had like a leadership group um, uh, for for the final year, and then James DeHaas, who's a good friend of mine, ended up wearing the the C, and I was the A. We were the two uh, like kind of senior leaders, and him and I were kind of yin and yang. He was like a very skilled, um, you know, point totaling defenseman, very calm. Uh, calm presence in the locker room, level-headed. And I was kind of that, you know, um, blunt, really rah-rah, in-your-face kind of leader who kind of, you know, was, you know, a hardworking, gritty, hard-nosed kind of guy. And so I think we played off of one another really well in terms of, you know, if there was a, something that needed a little bit more delicate of a touch, James was the definitely the guy to go to. And then if there was something where you just kind of needed to, you know, buckle up and get in someone's face and, 
and do it that way. Um, you know, I was the guy. So, um, yeah, it ended up being a great tandem, but yeah, I wore the A my last year, um, at Clarkson. I mean, your, your leadership definitely speaks volumes, especially, and it's not necessarily something that shows up on, on paper per se, but you did win Clarkson's Mike Morrison dedication award for teamwork hustle and of course dedication. So as you saw your roles with the team grow over the years, how did your mindset and self-esteem also grow, you know, along with your, your, uh, in, your increased responsibilities? Yeah. I mean, again, yeah. not, nothing that you're not used to clearly, um, given your, your roles in Texas as well, but how did you find yourself, you know, seeing yourself as a player during that time, mm -hmm. during times like that? No, I think that's a great, that's a great way to talk about the, you know, the, the mental aspect of, of, you know, this podcast too, is that my, my number one issue, um, and even moving away from the game now is that I, I had always tied my self-worth to my performance, which kind of sounds a little bit, um, Oh, I mean, melodramatic. Yeah, a lot of people. Yeah, melodramatic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so I always, you know, was kind of at my highest when I was playing really well, and I had a really hard time separating what was going on at the rink versus what was going on away from the rink. And so, you know, even if you're just shooting pool or playing darts or studying for an exam or whatever the case may be, um, I really wasn't there um, if things weren't going well on the ice. And because I couldn't separate it, there was this like anxiety building up to getting to the rink. Um, you know, cause I, I really couldn't cut the cord. It wasn't like I ever turned off. I was just at the rink all the time. Um, especially in my first couple of years where, you know, I had never been scratched in my life before. And, you know, that, that first year coming in and getting scratched, it was like, what's going on? Like, you know, or, or, you know, coming in and killing physical testing and being, you know, tops and all the physical tests and doing everything that I thought I was supposed to do. And then, you know, not, not seeing the fruits of your labor, just, it was, you know, like maddening to me. Um, I'll never forget my first year. Uh, I was scratched my first three games and then they put me in for the fourth game. I scored my first, I scored my first game. And then the next day I showed up and I was on the, f the fourth line and I was just like, what? Like, I, I just don't understand. Like I, I, I just couldn't comprehend um, and so, yeah, it was a big adjustment for me. It was a big adjustment for me, um, accepting, you know, kind of the role that I was going to have and navigating through, you know, being able to separate, being at the rink, being in the classroom, being with my friends and my teammates, um, having a social life, balancing it all. It was a big, um, big adjustment for sure. Um, and then kind of as the years went on as my role started to increase a little bit. I started to feel a little bit more comfortable. I started to gain a reputation. Um, like you said, you alluded to those two awards for, uh, you know, I won back to back awards for, for work ethic. I kind of, you know, grinded out a niche for myself. Um, because the reality of colleges is you're with, you're with that family for four years. There's no trades. There's no, you know, getting called up, getting sent down like in pro hockey. It's, it's, you're with these guys, this coaching staff and you buy in and you become part of this, this clock or, or, or you don't belong basically. Um, and, and so I just kind of really devoted myself to do everything that I could to be the best possible ambassador for that hockey program at that time and and do everything I could to be successful while I was there and I look back on it and I think I, I lost a little bit of myself in the sense of I was just trying to be who I was wanted 
who they wanted me to be as opposed to just being myself. Um, I think that, you know, in and of itself can lead to different um, problems, but, but I also am very proud of the fact that, you know, you can give yourself to a certain cause to something bigger than yourself and, and see it out and, and then, you know, get rewarded in, in whatever facet that might be. It may not be an NHL contract, but you know, there are different, there are different levels of rewards. And so I definitely think that, you know, if you set your mind to something, you can achieve it and kind of take the little, take the little steps, little goals as they come and, and try and keep it things into perspective, you know, try and separate who you are and what you're doing. And I think that was the biggest flaw that I that I, I still have to this day. I have a really hard time separating, you know, what I'm doing and who I am and, and kind of saying, you know, okay, things aren't, aren't going great right now, but that doesn't mean that everything is doom and gloom. Right. Um, so yeah, it was a big adjustment for sure, but it was something that, again, it's another feather in your cap. It's another chip on your shoulder. It's something you, you, you live from, you learn from, you live, you live on kind of thing. And um, again, looking back, I, I wouldn't want it any other way. I'm very proud of the way things went and, um, you know, how it ended up. So. Exactly. And you definitely should be. And I think growing into and embracing your role is something really underrated, especially nowadays where everyone's kind of like very focused on themselves and, and what they, right. what they set out to accomplish. And you touched on that earlier. So just to hear your story through college is just, you know, that is pretty much exactly what the embodiment for a modern day player should be, in my opinion. Um, mm. Just someone who like, sees their role on the ice and off the ice and accepts it and kind of just grows into it and just embraces it in general. So after college is where it gets really interesting for you um, because uh, you went overseas. It wasn't enough. Yeah. And played in two French leagues, which again, for those of you who are not diehard hockey fans, Europe and all those countries over there have their own leagues and they have their own teams. It's a lot of hockey over there. And well, French leagues, which is, which is not, <laughs> not, not terribly yeah. well known either. Uh, no. which is something that not every player could say they have done, let alone go to France. I mean, some players go to Europe, not France necessarily. Yeah. What led you to make that big step forward and how did you adjust to European hockey? Yeah, that's another, that's another podcast in and of itself. I think um, there's a, <laughs> just give me a quick a run, quick, quick, yeah, breakdown quick here. rundown. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. So I, I, I signed a, um, an ECHL contract after school. And I went and played for the remainder of the season after Clarkson. Um, and then I was all set to return to that team. And uh, they ended up folding. Oh, I, my plan was to return to that team. And then, and then they ended up folding. Um, and then, you know, I, I didn't have an agent at the time. And I was really uneducated, to be honest with you, in terms of what options were available to me. Um, I was kind of just really focused on my schooling at that time, graduating, um, getting through that final couple months of university that, that last couple months of university is just painstaking as I'm sure you are experiencing and have experienced yourself. Um, so I, I really wasn't, it wasn't on my radar at all, to be honest with you. And then I just out of the blue one day got a phone call from a team overseas and they were offering me. Um, more than what I made when I had played in the East coast and I didn't really know much about it. So I, I kind of reached out to a few people that I did know. And I said, Hey, what's like, what's this all about kind of thing. And 
they said, Hey, like it's, it's not the greatest place in the world, but it's, it's a good starting guard starting spot. And if it's something that you, you have for sure, um, I would jump on it. Like it, it's, it's better than a lot of it's, it's how it was worded to me was it's more secure than what a lot of guys get. And that word for me was huge. I just love to hear that word security because I just, I hated the idea of, you know, getting called up, getting sent down, getting traded, getting bought out, whatever, especially coming from somewhere where I'd been somewhere for four years and I didn't like change. Um, so I love the security of it. I had planned for my wife to come with me. Um, girlfriend at the time and so to ask her to quit her job to go somewhere where yeah uh, yeah but but to go somewhere where I didn't even know if I was going to last I didn't I didn't want to do that and so I knew that there I would be there for the entirety of the season Mm -hmm. um and so I said yeah like like let's let's do it so I, I pulled trigger on that and the first year was an absolute debacle, <laughs> like just a debacle. I ended up getting hurt twice and it just, it was just not a great year. Um, the second year I was fortunate enough to get a contract in a champions league league, which is for those who don't know, it's, it's Europe has like a, a play down. So if you're in the top league of your country, the best team in France will play the best team in Sweden. We'll play the best team in Germany. We'll play the best team in Austria. And you play in this kind of, you know, league of Europe. Um, that's and it's called a cool champion. Concept. That's, a, that's yeah. a sick concept in, in, in my yeah. opinion, for sure. Yeah. So I was, it, it's called champions league. And so I was fortunate enough to be in my team didn't represent our league, but to be in a league with, with guys that had NHL games and majority of the guys had, had American league games. And so it was, it was really good hockey um, I ended up having a really good year on the ice. Um, you know, I uh, made a ton of really, really, really good friends. It was probably my, no, it was my favorite year of pro hockey. We lived in an incredible town, um, just uh, about a half hour drive from the Swiss Alps. We had a beautiful apartment that had like a huge balcony and it was just, it was, it was incredible. It was kind of, um, I kind of had to pinch myself and say, wow, like all this hard work kind of like led me here to this point, you know, my now fiance and I were living there. Um, my parents got to come visit. I had a couple bodies that were able to come visit and it was just a, a great year. Um, really good, really good team, great fans, great, just nothing but good things to say about that. So it was, yeah, it was a great experience. Um, my second year, first year, not so much, but second year was great. <laughs> Yeah. And for all those hockey players listening now, it's not the worst thing in the world to end up in a place like that. Take it from someone who's done it before. It's not the worst thing in the world. So now back in Canada and transitioning into coaching, sticking locally at the cutting edge, at cutting edge hockey in Oakville. What Mm -hmm. is your biggest takeaway as a player now that your career in hockey is heading in a, in a different direction, so to speak? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I played a couple more, I played another year at home and then, with the whole pandemic, I got this opportunity to coach and I'd always wanted to be a teacher. Both my parents were teachers. Um, at the end of school, I had thought about going to grad school to get my BED um, before I signed in France. Um, and then when I got this opportunity, I'm like, you know what, this is just the best of both worlds. This is teaching and hockey. And I, I want to keep playing, but I'd be stupid to turn this down. Um, so looking back, I think there's, there's two big takeaways I have, especially from the mental aspect of it. Um, the first one I would say is at no point in my career did I ever enjoy 
the journey? Did I enjoy the ride? It, it, it just never happened for me. I was just always so focused on what's the next step. And even that last year in France, um, you know, I wanted a pay raise the next year or I wanted to, you know, get an American league contract when I came back home and I wanted, you know, more ice time. And if you ask my wife, like she'll, she'll be the first one to tell you, like I was never happy, satisfied or sorry, never satisfied. I was happy, but never satisfied. I would never, you know, I was never like a really fun loving guy. I was always just so focused on what that next thing was never really just enjoying where I was at that moment. Always looking at that next step or that, that next thing. Um, and that's maybe what kept me going, but looking back, it wasn't how I would do things if I could do it again. So if there's, that would be the first thing that I could say is just enjoy the ride because it's going to end one day and you're only going to be left with what you remember. And so you choose what you remember. What are you going to remember? Are you going to remember the score was four, three and you missed a shift because coach sat you probably not, probably not. Um, you're going to remember a big goal. You're going to remember, you know, a great night out with your teammates. You're going to remember, you know, that time when whatever happened, but, but the little stuff, like you're not, you're just not going to remember it. Just not going to happen. And, and I remember people telling me that as I was going through it and I was kind of like, yeah, you can say that now cause you're not going through it and it's not affecting you on a day-to-day basis, but to have the maturity to see things from, from a wide angle view and, and not just from that narrow what's happening tomorrow or what's happening next week, I think is important. Um, so that would be my first thing. The second thing, and I touched on this already was really trying to separate, you try to separate yourself from, from your performance. I, I, you're always going to be your, your own worst critic and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being hard on yourself. There's nothing wrong with knowing your potential and wanting to play to it. Um, but when you leave the rink, leave the rink, you know, when you're at the rink, dial in and be there and, and be focused on what it is that you're trying to do. But when you're at home, enjoy, enjoy your family. My, my wife was not with me in university. And so I struggled with that a ton. Um, and then moving pro, she moved around with me for the three or four years that I played. And she did a great job at kind of distracting me from whatever good or bad was going on in the rink. You know, never let me get too high, never let me get too low. Um, I started playing guitar. I started, uh, I loved to play chess. So like started playing chess away from the rink. Just have something else in your life that you do other than hockey. Just do something else. Like, uh, and that would be the second thing that I could say is like, um, when I decided to, to retire, I kind of had a, um, you know, oh my God moment where I'm like, what am I going to do now? Like, this is all I've done for <laughs> 12, 15 years now. Like, hi, I'm Perry. I play hockey is how I would introduce myself how do you introduce yourself now? It's like, it was like a, an absolute panic moment where I, I just realized like, Oh my God. And I had tied, like I said, what I do to who I am for so long that no longer being able to say that was, was terrifying to me. Um, so I think it's important to have something else in your life. You can say, Hey, I'm Perry and I, you know, suck, but I try to play guitar, like just something else that you can kind of cling to. Um, and that's another thing that I did a very poor job at when I was going through the process and my journey, I was so focused on 
what I wanted to do. And I, I wasn't paying attention to everything else, all the good things that were around me, all the other things that I could be doing. Um, so yeah, those would be my two kind of biggest takeaways, I think. And I'm just happy now that I'm in a position where I can still affect the game and I can still give back to essentially what made me who I am. The game made me who I am. And so to be able to help another young athlete and, and give them my story, my advice, you know, I'm not the best player in the world, but I can, I can give you what I can give you. And to be able to have an impact, I think is such a great feeling. Um, gives me such a sense of satisfaction. Um, and I couldn't imagine walking away from the game cold Turkey. So it's a great um, segue for me to kind of transition from playing to now coaching. And, and that, like I said, I get a lot of satisfaction from seeing, you know, smiling on, on a young player's face or, or seeing improvement and seeing confidence that grows from, from improvement on the ice. That's, it's a, it's a great feeling to be a part of. So. Hindsight is certainly 2020. 2020. Certainly 2020. So, and that's yeah. just a perfect way to wrap things up. So Perry Dorisso, he's a former D1 athlete at Clarkson and current hockey coach. Perry, thank you for taking the time today to come on the podcast and talk mental health and sport. Your journey definitely inspired me definitely made me think about a lot of different things in a very short period of time, which is very hard to do. So I appreciate you doing that. I wish you all the best moving forward, wherever your hockey career takes you this upcoming season. Thanks so much, Josh. I appreciate it. Perry Dereso, good move over the line and gets it to the right circle. It's Canisto in deep. In front it comes. They score! Perry Dereso has his first professional goal and the Jackals are back within one. It's a 3-2 game, 3.15 to go here in the second period.